was recently watching some videos of conversations that various people at universities have had with different speakers that have come in. And one of the, I think, most compelling was when a young lady in the audience who looked, I don't know, probably 23, 24 years old, went to ask her question and the person held the mic for her and she was very, I would say, borderline belligerent about how the person was holding the microphone and where they held it and whether or not she got to ask her question. But the first question she asked was the one that really blew my mind. When she asked the speaker, do you identify as black? That was her first question. But before the speaker could answer the question, uh, who first responded with a little bit of laughter, she said, wait, 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 you don't get to talk yet. I'm still asking the question. And the speaker, taking a little bit of back, said, I was just trying to answer a question. She said, no, you don't get to answer my question until I finish asking my question, which I thought was, well, it's kind of a bully way to, to get a question asked. But in the end, it didn't seem like she even asked a question. She asked like seven irrelevant, and, and when I say irrelevant, I don't mean irrelevant to the context of society and culture. I mean irrelevant to each other. Six let me say, unrelated questions in the question. And none of them topped the audacity and the arrogance of the first question. Do you identify as black? Today, I'm going to tell you why that question was audacious and, in my opinion, ignorant. And it's a challenge with leadership today. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. I, the, the reason the question was most ludicrous was because, um, well, the individual being asked the question was Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is an African-American. And when the questioner, who appeared to be potentially mixed race, very light skinned, but all the features that would indicate to one anthropologically that somewhere in her family, there's probably some African-American bloodline or maybe some continent of African bloodline. When she asked Alan West, do you identify as black? I'm thinking to myself, probably he does because he's kind of been that way pretty much all of his life. The irony was that when she asked him the question, she didn't allow him to answer the question to say, well, yes, I, I am black. I've been black all my life. I was raised by black parents, which he later interjected into the conversation, not only to her dismay, but to her absolute frustration because she still had more questions to ask that were unrelated to that question. Now, what does that have to do with leadership? I can tell you that it is a very common practice in today's bully pulpit. In fact, I watched a series of these videos today, and I what I noticed was repeatedly the speaker was targeted with questions from the audience that were questions that weren't really questions. In fact, they were questions where the context and the text of the question were irrelevant to the speech being made. So it wasn't like... I've come today to speak about kumquats and pineapples. And so all the questions have to do with the relationship between kumquats and pineapples, or maybe how to cook one, or how to grow one, or how to better prepare one uh, to be vitamin C. I don't know. 
But instead, it was, I've come to talk about kumquats and pineapples, and they want to berate this individual on the heat dissipation of a V8 engine versus a, a Tesla. I mean, the, the questions, the context of the question, the context of the conversation framed as a question was really more of a lecture on other ideas that they felt like the speaker should be focused on <clears throat> that had nothing to do with the speaker. And, and that wasn't one. That was multiple speakers at multiple speaking engagements across a large swath of what we would call the United States of America. When it comes to leadership, one of the challenges we face today, and I've, I've been reading a, a new book. As I'm reading through this book, the gentleman who is now a billionaire because he built a company from the ground up, um, took his education, took all the things that he studied, applied those things, applied some things that were outside the realm of his study and studied some more and learned some more things and made billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. And then decided, I don't like the way people who have that much money treat other people and so I'm all done with that. I'm gonna live my life the way I want to. Uh, but speaks now from the side of, I've been in that elite class, the, the ruling class, if you will. Those who have the money make the rules, the Goldman rule, right? The Goldman Sachs rule, the golden rule. That Those who have the money, have the money, those who have the gold, they make the rules. Yeah, so the, many billionaires feel like because I have the money to buy off politicians, because I have the money to make sure that somebody unworthy wins the race, because I have so much money that I can change the curriculum in a high school or a college or a middle school elementary by providing the books free of charge, by donating my name to the library as long as they take those books off the shelf. See, those kind of people are, are making significant decisions in our world. And this guy comes from that class. But the irony is he, he made the comment that when he ran his company, as the CEO of his company, there was a time that things were changing in society and things were changing in culture. And he felt as the CEO of the company, hey, look, I, I don't need to I don't need to step into this conversation that's going on outside of my company. It really has nothing to do with my company. My organization solves a different problem. That's not our issue. We deal with pineapples and kumquats. We don't deal with electric motors versus V8 engines. That's not our thing. I'm not an expert in that area. I'll leave that to the experts. I'm going to focus on what we do. And I want to do what we do well. But that wasn't good enough for his employees. In fact, it turns out that his employees formed a committee within their employee ranks to challenge his right to CEO the company he founded because his ideas didn't make them feel good. His ideas of continuing with the success of the company and doing the thing that makes us profitable and doing the thing that makes us successful, that didn't fit. And so suddenly he's got amongst the ranks of, of his employees uh, a handful or a dozen or a hundred or a thousand, I don't know the number of people who said, you know, wait, we wanna ask another question. Oh, wait, 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 forget what you're saying. Forget the fact that you're trying to answer the question I already asked you. I want to throw in another question because my question is really a bully pulpit. My question is really to derail your answer because I don't really care about your answer. I just want to keep questioning you until I get you weaselly into a corner. 
See, that seems to be the job of the media these days. They're really good at asking questions that there really isn't a safe answer to. I remember back to the day when it was kind of a joke question, but you've actually heard people ask a question like this. So, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Well, there's, there's no good answer to that question. Either you say yes and imply that at one time you did, or you say no and imply that you still do. But either way, you cannot win with a question like that. And that tactic, that tactic is a bully pulpit looking at systems and looking at symptoms rather than looking at foundational core values and belief systems that really make the difference in the world today. As leaders, we've got to be very wise. We've got to be very well read. We've got to be very learned, not just in the topic of our expertise. We've got to get beyond our comfort zone. We've got to get outside the things that would make us profitable, so to speak. And we've got to understand that there, there is a world out there today where people have been taught to challenge every idea, even if their challenge is irrelevant. To challenge every idea, even if the challenge is unrelated to the last challenge. The idea is to simply back you into a corner by asking questions that either have no answer or are based on a false premise to begin with. Some of the questions that I listened to today were based on quoted statistics, which now have been proven, A, they're 20 years old, and B, they were wrong when they were stated. Someone literally lied when they created the statistic for the purpose of manipulating a political cycle. And since the time that those statistics were manufactured, they've been proven to be wrong. They were not only predictions that now have passed, and we can look back and go, well, but you told us the world was going to explode on this date, and it didn't, so how many of your other predictions should we trust? You told us that it was going to turn out like this, and it didn't, so... Do you have a new prediction that we need to be calculating? Or should we just continue to argue about a prediction whose time has passed and has not yet happened? And do we see the fallacy in that argument? And yet, there's a whole group of people who feel like they can continue down the path of that argument, asking questions about that argument, asking about those very specific details that were wrong when they were conjectured the first time, but to build an entire worldview around them now is salacious. And yet, they're the tools of a bully pulpit. As leaders, we've got to be aware enough to say, I hear your argument, but I also understand that the argument that you're arguing, the questions that you're asking, the framework around this discussion has no merit. You're, you're building a house of cards on a sandy foundation that the first wind is going to blow over. But you've built not only your argument today, but your life. Your value, your purpose in this life is to support a cause, and that cause is a house of cards, a house of cards built around a lie to begin with. And I could name any one of about 15 current social issues that are houses of cards that over the course of human history have been tried again and again, and they failed every time they've been tried. They've been painted up a new kind of lipstick on a different color of pig, and now all of a sudden we feel like, well, but, but, but this is a smaller pig. 
These are these are just little javelina pigs, or or these are the little what are they potbelly pigs that people are making their pets now instead of chihuahuas? They have potbelly pigs. We had a friend who had a potbelly pig and it destroyed their house because potbelly pigs like to root. There's a there's an old phrase from football when I was a kid called root hog or die. Well, hogs do that. That's why people shoot javelinas on their property lines because they destroy your fences. They dig under things. They dig because they eat grubs. That's their favorite food. And so they dig. And when you put them in their house, they dig. And they will tear up your floors and dig through your walls because that's what they do. They're not house pets, generally speaking. And to try to domesticate one is, well, it's like a house of cards. You're building your entire premise on an idea. And it doesn't matter how much lipstick you put on that pig. It's going to dig. That's what they do. And these ideas that are trying to take root in our organizations, that are trying to take root in our companies, small and large, in our HOAs, in our neighborhoods, in our school districts, these ideas have been proven to be pigs. Unless you're into bacon and sausage, the pigs, they don't serve a whole lot of purpose. They're generally for food. Most people raise them because it's profitable to slaughter them and sell them, not for pets. I I can't imagine if if we could actually tame a werewolf, how many people would have a pet werewolf. Never mind the fact that, generally speaking, the mythological creature prefers to eat humans. Small detail. Put enough lipstick on it, it'll be a great idea. You following me? See, we found ourselves as leaders in a place where the argument that we're arguing is not the argument at hand. No, the argument that we're arguing is more about this abstract notion that I just want to be right. I want to be the one to tell you that you're wrong. I want to be the one to remind you that I have the right to argue with you. Forget the issue that we're talking about as long as I have the right to be heard. In fact, in one of these videos, and I'll close with this, was a perfect illustration of this concept that I really don't even want to argue with you. I just want you to feel like I've had the right to tell you to listen. In a large crowd of people, the speaker and a commentator on the stage, and I don't know if this was a moderator or a fellow speaker, but there were two people on the stage, and the one person who was there as the paid speaker kind of finished their dialogue and started their questions, and they were wrapping up. And he said, look, as we end our questions, I I want to give an opportunity. I, I see there are a bunch of you there in the back of the room, and you have tape that you have personally and intentionally put on your own face. And I, I assume that the tape represents the fact that you've been silenced or censored and you haven't had a chance to speak up, that your words don't matter. And I want to invite you right now to come forward. You can jump the entire line of people who have questions to ask. I want you to come to the front. I want you to know for a fact that you are invited to be heard. We want to hear your opinions. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your ideas. Please take the tape off, come forward, come to the mic and ask your question. Tell us what it is that you feel like you haven't been heard about. None moved. Not one person with tape decided it was worth their time to take the tape off their face and walk to the front and take the microphone. But I believe they got what they wanted. They got the camera turned to them. They got the attention. They got the chance to make the faces at this individual, to flash them hands, hand gestures of impropriety. They, they had the chance to say, hey, we're here, and we're, well, we're, we're going to be heard, but we're not going to say anything. 
generally speaking, that's that's a matter of someone who doesn't really have anything to say, but they want to make sure that you notice them. Oh, we would normally call that childish behavior. I, I understand there's reasons for it. I understand it's a, a certain type of a protest. I get that. But if you're conjecture is that you're not being heard, that your voice has been silenced. If, if you're under the impression and you want the rest of the world to be under the impression that you don't get a chance to speak, and when given a chance to speak, you refuse to speak, that's a whole different ballgame. Leaders have got to be wise enough to step into that ballgame and say, listen, I, I get it. I know that you're feeling unheard. I hear you. I want to hear you. I want to have a legitimate conversation with you. I want to talk about what's going on in your world, how you feel about what's going on in the big world, and I want you to have the opportunity to invest yourself in the change that's necessary. But I also want you to know that there are some foundational issues that need to be addressed. And these foundational issues are based on facts, not houses of cards. They're based on tried and true realities that have been tested the world over for most of humanity. And I want you to speak up and be a part of the solution and not just a symptom of a bigger problem. And that is the unruliness of the bully pulpit that says, I want to be heard even if what I have to say has no merit. I want to be heard even if what I have to say is irrelevant. Leaders have got to stand the ground and say, look, I want you to be heard. But if you're going to ask somebody like Colonel West, do you identify as black? You're, there's something wrong with your question to begin with. But as you follow up with that question, to then tell him he doesn't have the right to answer that question because you're not done with your question, that's a bully pulpit. That's not a question. And that is a symptom of a greater problem that needs to be solved, built on a house of cards that will not stand under scrutiny. It didn't even make it through the question. Leaders have got to be more solid than that, I think. Alan West handled the question well. I also think, even though it wasn't the topic of his speech that they wanted to argue about, he followed her line of thinking far enough to show her where her fallacies lied. She was not very happy with it. In fact, she came back later and apologized for her tone and the way that she approached him the first time. But clearly she was convinced that she was going to be able to bully him by her tone and by her incessant question asking, and that she was going to be able to push him into a corner that he couldn't answer. I think she found herself to be wrong. Leaders need to stand their ground in that same way. Know what you're talking about. Know your foundation. Hand off to the experts when you don't. But don't let the bully pulpit of a house of cards bring you down. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.